He's been depressed. Why are you depressed, Alvy? It's something he read. The universe is expanding. The universe is expanding? Well, the universe is everything. And if it's expanding, someday it will break apart and that will be the end of everything. What is that your business? He stopped doing his homework. What's the point? What has the universe got to do with it? You're here in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is not expanding. What's it all about? My Aquatic Jerk. My Aquatic Jerk. Once I dreamt I was taking photographs of a guy playing guitar. It felt like they were coming out great. I was using an old camera and looking forward to seeing the pictures when they developed. I thought, maybe one will be the cover of his next album. Then I woke up. I don't know who he was supposed to be, but that musician is never going to have an album. He was a figment of my imagination. Same goes for the camera and the film and those pictures. They'll never be developed. As I woke up and realized this, I felt a sense of loss. I'd been looking forward to something that I'll never get to see. But then a thought came to me. Really, in the sweep of time, were the dream pictures all that different from real ones? The real ones will eventually disappear just like those wisps in my head. Everything goes. Even all the stuff that feels permanent. Even Shakespeare. Even all your files that you have backed up on an external drive. Even the marble headstones that name our lost loved ones. This isn't news. We all know it. One day everything will go poof. All our museums and libraries and monuments, everything we made and everything we figured out, gone. I was out with my family and my brothers and I were talking about games we play on our iPhones. Our dad said, don't you think when you get to the end of your life, you're going to wish you hadn't wasted so much time on those games? I heard myself say, oh, what difference does it make? I think it took my dad back a little. He just nodded and said, I guess you're right. It's hard to argue against nihilism. If you pull the camera back far enough, we do look just like ants. And if there were a way to pull back the camera, not on space, but on time, all human history would just be a flicker of light. But I do want to argue against it. I want to fly a better banner than who cares. I know this is a depressing subject for the first episode, but I feel like if I don't knock down nihilism, why talk about anything? I don't want to bum you out. Avoiding these questions is probably the best choice for the most part. But maybe by dragging them out into the light, we can kill them like the vampires they are. Or at least see what we're dealing with. Who do I think I am? thinking I can add to a millennia-old conversation about life's meaning. Look at that. Despair infects even my ability to talk about despair. Clearly, I have my work cut out for me. This is Daniel Kaufman. Welcome to the Myoclonic Jerk Podcast. Today, we're going to talk to one of the great nihilists of our age, Ivan Brunetti. I loathe myself unconditionally. We're going to hear a story about a little mouse facing a dilemma. Paul felt pretty sure that the right answer was to leave, but the cheese smelled so good. Then the premiere of Plane Crash Follies. Wow, this is it. And we're going to talk to my roommate, Brian Ridley. This is the omniscient voice of the universe. Anything you want to ask me? Hang in there, folks. 
We're gonna be okay. No show about nihilism would be complete without Ivan Brunetti. Ivan is an award-winning cartoonist and one of the foremost nihilists of our day. His work has appeared in The New Yorker, but he's best known for his comic Schizo, the first three issues of which were collected into a book called Misery Loves Comedy. Ivan's work is brutally dark, but it's also honest, smart, heartbreaking, and very funny. In Ivan's recent work, he seems to be doing a little better, so I thought it would be interesting to talk to someone who was in the depths and clawed his way up to slightly higher depths. Now, a podcast can't do justice to Ivan's gorgeous comics, which I urge you to check out on your own. But for now, here's actor Mike Wood performing a short schizo medley. It starts with the slightest of provocations. A mere annoyance becomes the catalyst for questioning your existence. Then you notice the absurdity of working your dumb job so you can pay your dumb bills and continue living your dumb life. We're ego-centered, self-important, selfish shitheels, but we're no better than the insects as far as the great macrocosm is concerned. If I look deep within, I find a palpable nothingness. I can wipe it away only with the foul dishrag of deception. Life is worth living. You're a good person. There's always tomorrow. Optimism is basically denial. Voluntary insanity. The world would end if it were filled with people like me. But can you honestly say that's a negative thing? Really? Why? Well, just because you're biologically programmed with the self-deception mechanism that rationalizes your existence and adds an imaginary value to it, ever notice the cosmic shiver you get when you kill a spider? It's a little dance with the universe's primary law. Namely, nothing has a right to live. Yet somewhere inside me is a hopeless idealist that refuses to succumb to moral entropy. I'd like to wring that cocksucker's neck. Whew, wow, right? And believe me, that's a pretty sanitized sampling. I'm telling you, Ivan Brunetti is a black belt nihilist. Probably all nihilist belts are black, but Ivan would get a very dark shade of black. Now check this out. This is a letter written to Ivan Brunetti from the legendary underground cartoonist Robert Crumb. Dear Ivan, have you given any thought to getting on Prozac? I thought your comic was sharp and funny and well-drawn, but so fucking negative and self-absorbed it's hard to take. Have you tried positive auto-suggestion? This really works. I've done it. You concentrate on a statement like, I am attracted to some kinds of women. Say it to yourself over and over, focusing your mind on it for five minutes a day. Eventually, it actually changes the conditioning that set up these self-defeating tape loops that are always spinning in our fevered brains. Bubala, you're obviously chemically depressed. You're too smart and too good an artist to allow this condition to continue. You must do something to improve your outlook. Start now. Arkram, Suave, France. You know, Ivan, when I told people that I was going to be interviewing this very nihilistic cartoonist, they all said, oh, you got R. Crumb? And I said, no, 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 this is the guy that R. Crumb thinks is too dark. (laughs) Well, you know, I would never do this now, but at the time I mailed copies to uh, all my favorite artists. Yeah. And the very first response I got was from R. Crumb. And I mean, I was trembling when I saw the envelope. Oh my God, yeah. There's Crumb's writing, you know, it's somebody I idolized. And I was so afraid. I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. (laughs) <laughs> but it was actually a very encouraging letter. I mean, I kept the stuff that was funny. Right. 
avoid my spirits anyway. Yeah, it seemed like all the letters were a combination of, man, you're really talented and boy, we're worried about you. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I really wanted was advice from people on the artwork because that was the part that I struggled with. But everyone reacted to me as a person. Right. Well, I mean, the writing is really challenging. That's a charitable way to put it, but thank you. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's what we're here to talk about. It's all, you know, what's the point? Life is meaningless. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, those are still valid questions, I think. Sure. They haven't really gone away. I mean, it was just really strange what people were responding to were these things that I didn't question, whereas... I just was looking for advice you just on more... some advice on cross hatching or something. Cross hatching or just like <laughs> technical things like work on your story structure. Right. I find that the criticism of what I do is usually of me. And people don't even talk about the comic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think you're raising things that are scary for people and they have to attack you so they don't have to think about what you're talking about. It's always that I'm an asshole and I'm a terrible <laughs> person, which I agree. Like, that's what the whole comic is about. Yeah, you're, you're like, I already said that. What else you got? <laughs> that's almost like doing a book report. Yeah, it's just a summary. Then that's the problem with doing autobiography. You get criticized as a person more than as a cartoonist. Yeah. I don't think I even understood what people were responding to. I mean, it's taken me 15 years. You feel like you do get it now, though? Yeah, I think, well, it's like, I can't read these comics. They're really painful <laughs> for yeah. me. Even putting together the compilation, that's partially why they're just like the whole issue is in there. Like, I didn't want to edit them. or uh -huh. you know. It's just, you read this. I can't read it. I made it. I think as my anger subsided over the years, it started to question a lot more. Do that really need to be published? Do people really need to read this? <laughs> right. One of the issues on the back cover, you had a piece called Don't Kill Yourself. Right, yeah. And I wondered if that was you worrying about the impact of your work. Well, I think the joke of that was every panel is sort of an argument for killing yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and maybe I was talking to myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of that stuff was, um, I was trying to find a way to laugh at things that, um, you know, most of the time I don't laugh about turning things into cartoons sort of forced me to step outside myself a little bit. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes I, I feel bad and I sit down and I write about it and when I'm done, I... I feel good. And part of it's just getting it out of your system. But there's also this feeling of, wow, I made something and that feels good. And even if the subject of that thing is how awful you feel. <laughs> That's all we have. Yeah. It's like the myth of Sisyphus. All you can do is just keep pushing the rock back up the hill, even though you know it's going to fall back down. And we just keep doing that until the earth goes careening into the sun. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah, the thing, you know, nihilism, I guess we have to define our terms. On... Yeah, I'm definitely not talking about any kind of strict philosophical school. I just mean the general feelings of ennui and what's the point, why bother? Well, I've always thought nihilism was just a flip side of hedonism because that philosophy can go either way. If you really look at the root of what's underneath those, it's sort of this everything's meaningless and what's the difference anyway kind of thinking. And it's dangerous territory to uh, skirt around. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm a little both because sometimes I'll just think, what's the point? And I'll go play video games for a week straight. Or Well, that's what uh, I mean. It's basically the same impulse, just directed in two different directions. Right. So I guess this podcast is about what's the pointism. I don't know if there's a better name what's for it. What's the pointism? <laughs> yeah. The thing is, there is no point. It is all meaningless. The onus is on the individual, I guess, to try to do something in spite of that. Right. Get enough individuals together to do things like, I don't know, create a sewer system. <laughs> I mean, life would be horrible if people didn't delude themselves into thinking it could be better. I right. Mean, we'd have nothing. 
So then why do you say dilute if that's the case? Uh, because ultimately it is all going to crumble. Like nothing we build. It's all sandcastles. Yeah, I mean, planet Earth is not going to last forever. So just knowing that would seem to invalidate everything we do. I mean, why build something that's... Uh, well, but people do actually make literal sandcastles. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I wanted to find the answer to this stuff, but there really isn't. It's just... Uh, in the end, it becomes this day-by-day -day sort of, you just need enough reason to get out of bed. We kind of do delude ourselves, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. So would you say these feelings of what's the point come from life being finite, or do you think there are other sources? Well, I think even if we didn't have scientific proof that the sun's going to explode, people have still struggled with these feelings for however long people have been able to write it down, and probably longer than that. So maybe it's just part of the makeup of some people. Or I don't know. Actually, I want to read something to you on that point. There's this great book by Bertrand Russell called The Conquest of Happiness, and he writes in it, Those who attribute their sorrows to their views about the universe are putting the cart before the horse. The truth is that they are unhappy for some reason of which they are not aware, and this leads them to dwell upon the less agreeable characteristics of the world. Uh, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> I'll buy that. I mean, is it even possible to separate out depression from this intellectual inquiry we're having? I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I wonder if it is. I don't know if we could really separate one's individual psyche or chemical makeup. or. But I mean, the books, as emotional and sad and angry as they are, it seems like you're making a lot of purely intellectual arguments. Yeah, because I was so angry that I was blind to my own anger, and I felt this need to intellectually justify all my opinions, but I could not look at the emotional underpinning. I mean, I sort of could. That's why there's humor in the book. Right. Even in those little gag strips, sometimes there's people spouting an opinion that is then squashed. Yeah. So there's some awareness there, but I let myself get carried away with the anger. And I, I think that's what I wanted to do at the time. Yeah. And this is the stuff that everybody's trying to bury or not even admit to themselves. or Yeah. Or at least some people. <laughs> that have it. The 3,000 people that bought the book, I guess. <laughs> You know, you were talking about those gag strips and the truth they reveal. And one of my favorites, uh, there's a guy and he keeps saying, I want to die. I want to die. And in the last panel, a guy points a gun at him and says, stick him up. And he says, please don't kill me. Right. Well, I felt like that one's pretty deep, actually. And it comments on everything else. Yeah, that kind of not invalidates the whole book, but it gives you a way to understand all the other stuff. Yeah, it just reduces 172 pages to four panels. Yeah, and the conclusion of that is what? That you like to be dark in the abstract, but you want to live too? or Well, I mean, if somebody puts a gun to your head, <laughs> there's a biological survival instinct where your first thought's going to be, don't kill me. We have this nervous system that keeps our body alive. <laughs> it's kind of against our will. It's like this other thing controlling stuff. It just wants to live. Sure. People that actually kill themselves, like it's really hard somehow that survival instinct failed them. Because, I, I mean, it's pretty strong. Um, back in the caveman days, the ones who didn't have that just <laughs> killed themselves successfully and stopped reproducing. Yeah, or I just can't run from this tiger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, Do your uh, worst, tiger. I'm out of breath. Okay, go ahead. And then you... Yeah, no babies from that guy. And it's kind of amazing how little our conscious mind has to do with any of our existence. And we think we have all this control, and it's really just these biological systems that are just keeping your assemblage of flesh and bones and fluids together. And every person is just like this tube. We need to be fed, and then we defecate, and we just keep going like worms. 
But you're not reducing us to that. You're just saying that's a factor, right? No, I am reducing us to that. Come on. I know you love the peanuts, and you don't really believe that Charles Schultz is just a tube. Sure he is. <laughs> we all are on some level, yeah. Well, right, on some level. But the tube definition doesn't do anything to explain your art or Charles Schultz's art. The entire history of life on Earth, it's just one organism, one tiny little thing that didn't want to die. And so it just kept replicating and you think of like evolution and now we're all these different things and we're all these little tubes, every single organism. And all we really are is just one tiny, tiny microorganism that found a way to keep itself going. And like all of life, it's just that, even though we like to think we're individuals. And that view can be really comforting or really painful. It's just very strange. We all carry that little piece of DNA. It just didn't want to die. And so it became every single living thing. They should make a monument to the strand of DNA or whatever it is. <laughs> so you and all those critics that annoy you and, uh, I don't know, Glenn Beck, we're all me, <laughs> we're all the same? We're all that thing that just, you know, and then it just became all these separate things, but it's really just one thing. I don't want to be Glenn Beck. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, we belong to the same species, technically. Yeah, technically. I'm going to do a terrific show today. And I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. So I guess you haven't completely conquered your depression, but it's clear from the last volume of Schizo that you've made a lot of progress. How did you do it? I think I just worked really hard at it. <laughs> it's been a real struggle. I still go through really deep depressions to the point of going to the hospital and things like that. I don't know. I mean, most of the time I just try really hard to make a choice at any given moment that's not going to be completely self-destructive. And little by little, I'm able to make more of those choices. Uh huh. Another thing that's helped is I actually found a good therapist. Yeah, it's hard to find good ones. Well, psychoanalysis was not yeah. really helpful for me because it was a lot of what I do anyway, which is analyze Right. I've eventually found somebody that gives me day-to-day -day advice. It's actually not that different from Crumb's advice, the positive auto-suggestion. Uh -huh. It's kind of the same idea in that the way you look at your life, the words you use are kind of important, and you can say things to yourself that you don't necessarily believe, but just... It helps, yeah. And, you know, I've come to hate that Stuart Smalley routine because <laughs> saying positive things to yourself can actually be helpful, but, you know, I think of Stuart Smalley and I feel like an idiot. Right, right. Well, because <laughs> there are some people that shouldn't be saying positive things to themselves. It should be a lot harder on themselves. Yeah. It's helpful for people that are by nature really hard on themselves to sometimes acknowledge that maybe they did do something good or even accept praise from somebody. Like I have a lot of issues with that. I just don't ever believe it. And, you know, right. Yeah, I don't have the answer to anything. I pretty much loathe myself. <laughs> like I loathe myself unconditionally, and it's very difficult <laughs> to have anything positive sink in. Yeah. I think that's just from growing up never hearing a positive comment. Right. Well, it goes back to that Bertrand Russell quote we started with, that there's an emotional source for all this. Uh, yeah, there is. Yeah. But if you say something to yourself, eventually you can sort of accept it, sort of like it goes back to that there's a point to life. I don't believe that, but I can say that to myself, like there is a point to drawing or making something. And if I keep saying that and actually doing that, it changes your view. Like you've yeah. made something, it makes you feel a lot less like putting your head in the oven. <laughs> yeah. 
actually the best advice she has, which is advice I've gotten from friends or artists that are successful, is to just keep working even though you feel miserable. I have this mythology in my mind that I feel so miserable, I have to wait till I snap out of this and then I can draw. And, um, and then you feel worse you didn't draw that day and then you're even more miserable. Exactly, just sort of snowballs. But And this is hard to actually do. You have to kind of believe that the next day you'll feel better that you did something. But it's kind of like having faith that that will happen because you don't believe it at the time. Right, but it's not pure faith if you can remember, yeah, this worked last week when I did it. And... Well, exactly. Yeah. As you do that more times, you can say that did happen before, that one time where I actually did something. So, In the introduction of Misery Loves Comedy, your therapist touched on your difficulty with getting your own work done. It's just easier for me if somebody says they need something. Right. And then um, the guilt, the horrible guilt that I feel <laughs> not coming through after promising something. Yeah. But to do my personal comics, nobody needs that. Nobody is waiting for that. Um, that's not true. Well, <laughs> you know that's not true. Well, it sort of is in the sense I know that the world can live without that. Well, yeah, the world could live without any one artist. The world could live without Picasso, but people are glad that he was there and did his work. And not the people that he was an asshole to. <laughs> right, but it's like Michael Jackson. He brought more pleasure than, you know, even if he did molest some children <laughs> on net, he was a benefit. Well, yeah, I guess it depends who you ask. No, but I just mean mathematically. It, uh... Mathematically, I guess that's true. Um, Percentage-wise, there were more people that gained pleasure than uh, anal discomfort, so... <laughs> Yeah. Are there any books or movies or comics that help you with these struggles, inspire you? Well, I mean, you know, there's so many. I always go back to Crumb and I read Mouse probably 50 times or something. <laughs> Those are the things that give you a little pick-me-up, the Holocaust book? And... They do, yeah. There's more to it than just being about the Holocaust. I know, it's just funny. Part of it is that that's the stuff that inspired me to draw comics. Right. I think I've seen Annie Hall like 50 times, but there's something about it that still has surprises for me. Mm -hmm. When I look at my go-to stuff, I think if I go back to this, I'll enjoy it. There's mm -hmm. a certain comfort to the familiarity, but it's... But also the newness. There's always something to discover. And I think it means that you have to open yourself up to, as an artist, making something that you lose a little bit of control over. And as you work on it, it takes on a life of its own and you try to rein it in. That's the best you can do. I always wait for that to happen, that mythical thing where the characters start writing themselves. And uh, Yeah, it's very hard. And when I did the comics that are in Misery Loves Comedy, it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like I had to do it or I would die. Yeah. I kind of envy that feeling, even though I question its value now. I guess I'm kind of glad I did it because I have a book I can put on my shelf. Yeah, yeah. I can point to that and go, well, you know, I guess I tried. Yeah, I also feel less of that urgency lately, and we're about the same age, and I wonder, is it a midlife crisis thing where we're starting to see the end and wonder what's the point and we're getting back to that? Or is it just that we physically have less energy because we're older? It's all of those things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I see it is, um, you know, like on iTunes, you can choose to look at <laughs> the time elapsed. Yeah. So I think like for a lot of my life, I looked at everything like that it could go on forever. Yeah, Or definitely. even though like in the back of your mind, you know, like, well, that song has to end sometime. Yeah, especially when you hit the milestones, you, you really realize, wow, I'm really on a finite path here. 
Well, in the last year or two, I stopped seeing the time elapsed and I'm seeing the time remaining. Right. So you know exactly now how long the song is going to last. And gee, <laughs> yeah. there's only like a minute and 48 seconds left. Oh, 47, 46. <laughs> right. I better stop thinking about this. 42. Yeah, exactly. And uh, maybe that's, you know, what a midlife crisis is. There's some kind of shift that happens where there's a panic like, well, you better get something finished. Yeah, and when you see the end coming, it can make everything seem more urgent or much less. Yeah, you find yourself having to make these choices. What do I do? Like, I'm not going to learn to play bass guitar or something. <laughs> yeah, whereas 20 years ago, we might have said, I might do that at some point. Yeah, exactly. And then you think, like, maybe that's not the best use of my time. Right. And then you have to decide, like, what would be. And these choices just take on a greater immediacy, and it's kind of scary. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's why I felt like 40 was a really big... That was a terrible birthday. Yeah, it really is, because as it's coming, you have this number on the horizon, 40, 40, and it's causing all this anxiety, but what you don't realize is it's really protecting you, because once you hit 40, the number's not there anymore. It's just death is on the horizon. Yeah, exactly. Just there's this sort of shift that happens. You could see how guys do stupid things all of a sudden. Cheat on their wives. Yeah, and you know, I'm going to buy a motorcycle and <laughs> grow a ponytail and you're just too old. So you haven't done anything crazy like that? No, luckily you... I overthink everything, so I talk myself out of... <laughs> Pretty much everything. I think um, if you've had any bipolar issues in your life, mm -hmm. you're always dealing with basically what is a midlife crisis. Uh -huh. So when you actually get to that age, you're really well prepared. <laughs> right, you've been practicing. Yeah, your whole life has kind of been a midlife crisis Right, just the first year and the last year, okay, and the rest of it's midlife crisis. <laughs> so you have a little more perspective because you've dealt with it. Yeah. Whereas I think for people that haven't had mania or really bad depression and crashing, like if you've never had that happen before and all of a sudden it happens, you can make some really bad decisions. Uh, right, you're sort of used to it. I've been making those bad decisions my <laughs> whole life, so you know, I could just see like this is just it again. You know, I heard about this study that says depression peaks in the mid-40s and then declines. And the theory was that this is the time when people take stock in their lives. And up until then, they're holding on to their dreams and feeling dissatisfied. And then at this point, they look around and say, this is my life. This is it. And they accept it for what it is. And then they start to feel better. I think that makes sense. Unless you do something stupid, like leave your family <laughs> or whatever. And yeah. If you don't do that, you will take stock of your life and then come to some sort of acceptance. And I think probably you do calm down. And I feel like I'm kind of in the middle of that right now, which is why I want to take a month or two just trying to see what do I really want to pursue creatively. Now, if we cut to you in three weeks, are you just going to be on your couch watching TV? Um, you could <laughs> probably cut to this evening for that. Usually when I get depressed, I don't enjoy anything. I just stare at the wall the way a junkie stares at the wall a whole day. <laughs> We all have our ways of numbing, you know, when we feel down, but those don't even work for you, whether it be TV or drugs or alcohol. I've tried to avoid alcohol and drugs because I know that if I go down that path, I will not have any self-control uh -huh. <laughs> whatsoever. You're such a bad alcoholic that you'll never drink. Yeah. <laughs> so you have no numbing strategies. You just suffer when you suffer. Well, when it's mild, I can maybe watch a movie, but... It's generally been better. I mean, I'm also married now, and it's a lot harder to indulge your depression. <laughs> right. Someone's like, come on, get up. <laughs> well, you realize you're making uh, other people just as miserable yeah. as you are. For their sake, you have to be a little happy. Yeah, or at least pretend. I have a dog, which is a much lighter version of that, but it helps to just have some other living thing depending on you. You know, I got to go out and take a walk now. 
That's very true. For a long time, I depended on my cats. Uh-huh. I got to get up. I have to feed the cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, even if I wanted to destroy my life, I would just think, yeah, but I got to take the cat to the no-kill shelter first. <laughs> <laughs> then I can blow my head off. Right. It's like the seven-day waiting period before buying a hand. Yeah. Luckily, they have that, actually, because otherwise it'd be so easy. There are days. Well, there's just enough time where yeah. you're like, oh, you know, that's just stupid. Too much hassle. I also just can't imagine the person having to clean up yeah. the mess after you kill yourself. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to do it, in a bathtub is the more polite way. I guess. Even that's horrible, though. I don't know what would be good. I guess you could jump in a lake or something, <laughs> tie some heavy weight to your leg. <laughs> Wait, I'm doing this podcast to help me get over my nihilism, not to get good suicide tips. <laughs> There's all kinds of things you could do. I guess If you stand by a lake and blow your head off and just fall in there. <laughs> There's probably not anything to mop right. up for anybody, but your body's going to wash up and somebody still has to... They're going to find that ugly corpse and be scarred by it. Yeah, you know, it's smelling yeah. horrible. I just think about stuff <laughs> like that. Some poor person is just going to have to clean this and <laughs> I just feel bad for them. And it's just enough to kind of talk yourself out of it. You just need a few seconds sometimes. <laughs> That's the secret. If you ran a suicide hotline, you'd say, think of the cleanup crew. Think of other, I mean, it's really hard when you are feeling completely nihilistic. You will stop thinking that the things you do are going to affect anybody. Right. You know you're pretty far gone when that doesn't enter your mind anymore. And then that's the point where you kind of have to call the hospital. Yeah. So that was a positive thing I just said, right? I just <laughs> encourage people. Call the hospital. Call the hospital and deal with it. Paul wondered if this was a trap, the kind that killed Jim. Paul had a friend named Jim, who got his head crushed going for cheese in a trap. What was in it for the big people who set up tricks like that? What kind of sickness could cause such cruelty? Paul had only heard about Jim. He didn't see for himself and was glad of it. But he had involuntarily constructed a mental picture. Someone was kind enough to let him know that one of Jim's eyes had popped out. Paul shuddered for his poor friend, and at the thought that he'd been through the same spot only two days before. So Paul had got his smarts the way most do, from experience it didn't kill him. This idea provoked a conversation among several of the mice. An old one said, The best lessons kill you. The greatest insights come in those final moments, surely. Surely, said another. But of what use are they then? No use. No, good food and a dead mouth. Better to be dumb for a lifetime than wise for an instant, right? That's what most of us choose anyway. <laughs> well, we all get the final moment eventually. Why rush it? Not if you sleep through it. I'll take my chances of that. I'll count myself lucky to avoid wisdom as long as possible. Right so, indeed. The others cleared out after the gym incident. 
Paul thought of going, but he liked it there. He knew his way around. He was getting on in months and was reluctant to change his ways. The others pleaded with him to join them, but the thought of learning a whole new place made him feel tired. He decided to stay put a while and keep his eyes open. The way the others told it, Jim fell for a trap that was pretty obvious. It wasn't as if a cat had moved in. A sentient roving enemy would be too much stress to live with. But just to watch out for a stationary contraption, Paul felt up to that. But the days alone went slowly. Paul missed the group. He couldn't join them now because he had no idea where they went. They were gone, as gone as Jim. Paul felt stupid for choosing the familiarity of place over the familiarity of people. The house seemed vast and empty now. Of course, the big ones were still there, and they seemed bigger, too. Sure enough, one night Paul came upon what might be a trap. At first, he only noticed the cheese. He smelled it a long way off and was moving to it eagerly when something made him slow down. Just a sense of dread that he felt before he consciously perceived the trap around the cheese. When he did, he examined it, taking fairly wide circles and very gingerly shrinking them. He couldn't figure how it worked, but he sensed its coiled-up energy, its desire to be in another state, closed, at rest. If this was the kind of thing that took out Jim, Paul could understand both how Jim fell for it and how the others could see the trap as obvious after the fact. It was big, but if he hadn't been looking for it, he might have ignored whatever doubts cropped up until it was too late. Yes, this seemed very likely the device that got his friend. Paul's appetite argued against that. His appetite told him he was imagining things. His appetite pointed out how good the cheese smelled, and how good it would taste, and how well it would serve to fill the emptiness, scratching a bigger and bigger space inside him. Paul sat there frozen in this internal disagreement. It was as if he housed two sides of two different debates. One spoke only of the trap, and one spoke only of the hunger, and each said nothing to address the other. Both spoke to self-preservation. Caution's strength was the severity of the danger, if it was right, total annihilation, and possibly great pain on the way. Hunger's strength was in the certainty of both its pain and cure. He was hungry, and that was cheese. The rest was conjecture. Paul felt pretty sure Caution was right, that the right answer was to leave. But the cheese smelled so good, and he allowed his thinking to become muddled to the point that he didn't know which part of himself to listen to. Hunger then took an audacious tack. It said, what difference does it make? Maybe there's a tiny chance it is a trap. But you're all alone now. The others have all left. What are your prospects now? Be bold. We all go sometime. You'll have relief one way or another, either from hunger or loneliness. The idea captivated Paul. And then there was a third, certain relief eating the cheese offered relief from the dilemma. The decision would be made, and the stress of this internal battle would be ended. Paul turned it over, flirted with the idea. Paul himself also felt a coiled-up energy, and a desire to be at rest. He took in a breath, and let it out. 
the soft scent of the cheese, and the thought of peace mingled behind his closed eyes. Paul admitted to himself what he was considering, and even then he didn't dismiss it. He actually felt a little lighter to realize he had that option. It made him feel that his life was less something thrust upon him. Living was a choice, his own choice, and seeing that made him feel a little bit less small, like he wasn't yet ready to give up. And just like that, the fight was over. Hunger knew it had made a tactical error and had lost. Well, it said, then we better get out of here and find something else to eat. Caution threw it this crumb. We can always come back later and think on this some more. But all sides knew they would not be back any time soon. Take it away, Andy Breckman. I don't want to mow this lawn, this planet that we're living on. Someday we'll blow up and be gone. I read it in a book. The sun is gonna overload like something Stanley Kubrick showed. This solar system will explode. This place is gonna cut. Them Jesus freaks will be digging the show. Their bags will be packed up, be ready to go. They'll say, nee, 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 we told you so. Ah, them Jesus freaks, they're gonna be real mad. Oh, that big, bright, beautiful, sunny day. They realize they've been had. I say, we will all be equal in the end. On that day, the Big Bang comes again. The big blue sea is gonna roast, they're gonna burn just like some piece of toast. They're gonna be fried fish from coast to coast. On that day, the Big Bang comes again. And on that day, no one will give a damn how many children died in Vietnam. Or if Armstrong ever walked the moon. Or if Hiroshima ever went kaboom. Ever born, or if I ever mowed the lawn, do 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 won't make no difference when we're gone. No 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 no, I don't wanna mow the lawn. Happy Halloween, all of you. Thanks. When I some glad morning. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Plane Crash Follies with a new cast of characters each and every episode. We take you now, as always, to the interior of a commercial airliner that is plummeting to a terrible end. Wow, this is it. Fuck. I waited too long to write my book. Too late now. All the pretty thoughts in my head will never see the light of day. Oh well. Even if I had done it, even if I topped the bestseller list, I and everyone who read me would be gone eventually. I wanted to make something that lived after me. I wanted permanence, but there's no such thing. We end. No use crying about it. The man next to me is crying. He's praying. 
Everybody scrambles for meaning, but permanence is not meaning. Meaning means an end. A story, a sentence, a word has meaning. Not an endless stream of letters. A word has a space before and a space after. An emptiness. There is no is without a before and after. We're such greedy babies. We want a beginning without an end. We're the party guys here. Well, you guys have really hung in there, and I think you deserve a treat. You may know our next guest from the world-famous Grandma's Virginity podcast. He's a very funny guy. He writes for TV. Just last year, he didn't have all this great stuff going on, and he was pretty depressed. So I think he'd be good for this episode. And we're going to talk to him every episode because we live in the same house. So without further ado, please welcome my good friend and yours, Ryan Ridley. Hello. Hey. Why are we here, Ryan? Why are we here? Yeah, what's the point of For us this talking? podcast? Yeah, why should we? You tell me. It's your podcast. Well, that's what the whole podcast is for, is figuring out why bother do anything. What else would you do right now? There's a lot of good TV on. It's a silly question. It's like asking a lion in the savannah why it hunts gazelles. Sitting there and, and watching TV all day, drinking a beer. Going oh, to some, man. That wouldn't... That's the best. Yeah, no, that's miserable to me. <laughs> I see you drinking a lot of beer, watching a decent amount of TV. Not really. You don't look miserable. I do that Pretty... a couple hours a night, maybe. You're trying to be cute, but yeah. then, seriously. It's... Oh, I can't be cute. You're When you're talking about this, no. <laughs> I like to be in the mix. I like to feel like I'm getting up every day and I'm, I'm working towards something and I'm fighting these little battles. So you don't really have to figure out why bother because you, you just want to. Yeah. And so this whole discussion about pointlessness is pointless to your way of thinking. Well, the fact that I came in here to record this, it means that I'd rather be doing this than continuing to sleep. Right. Because this is going to go out into the world and hopefully be heard by a few people. Few? Look, let's be realistic. Hey! You know, there might be lots of people. Oh, well, hopefully. You know, leapfrog your podcast with my podcast, and you'll be looking (laughs) at my podcast's ass. All right, well. Yeah. Yeah, that's my goal. You're the dragon. I'm slaying. Yeah. You're the gazelle. And I'm the lion. That's what you need to think. I'm using you to slay yourself. That's not the first time that attack has been <laughs> taken. Wow. Well, then I guess we have nothing to talk about. It's clear. Yeah. Get out there, everybody. Go make some money. Go make some art. Go dancing. Go fucking drinking. But I know in your life there have been times where you felt like it's all meaningless and why bother? And let me talk to that guy for a minute. We talking about last year? Oh, right, who's that? Hey, Dan. It's Ryan. Oh, it's Depressed Ryan. Uh, happy yeah. Ryan, get up. Let Depressed Ryan, Ryan sit down. Excuse me. Hey, Depressed Ryan. Hey. So, uh, how are you feeling about life? It's terrible. You know, you know, Happy Ryan was just sitting here saying that you should just get out there and do stuff. Be like a lion. It's easy for him to say. He's not living in his aunt and uncle's guest bedroom. Why don't you just feel happy that you have a loving aunt and uncle? Give you Because I'm 33 years old. It's pathetic. I've got no money. I've got no opportunities in life. You don't have opportunities? Doesn't feel like it. Well, I have nothing to show for myself. Not no, yet, but isn't that an argument for making an effort? And I don't, It just feels like I suck. It feels like I'm never going to get anywhere. So you're... I mean, some people have dreams, and it's a lie. You're never going to accomplish your dreams. And, you know, frankly, why shouldn't I just kill myself? 
All right, you're bumming me out. Get out of here. Go. Happy Ryan. Hey. Oof, yeah. That guy was a bummer. Well, he doesn't know. He's living in 2009. Maybe this nihilism idea that comes out of just poor self-esteem, the lack of hope. I think so. You feel what's the point when you don't expect anything good to happen. If you expect good things to happen, that's the point. So yeah. you're optimistic. Well, that's what drives religious people. They're thinking that something good's going to happen. Right. If you believe that you're going to have a heaven somewhere in your future, whether it's finding the love of your life or getting your dream job or accomplishing some great goal. But in the end, you don't get the happy ending. When I was religious, a rabbi told me that some people in life on their deathbeds are granted the gift of realizing how everything made sense. Right. And you lie in your deathbed, hopefully you're not being eaten by a shark or something. Right. That'd be pretty impressive if you could have that clarity then, like while you're getting eaten by the shark. I think at some point you realize, okay, I'm not going to be one of these surfers who tells the story in the news about losing an arm. I'm just going to be shark poop. Yeah. So when you get that clarity in your deathbed, you go, look, I made a lot of mistakes and a lot of bad shit happened, but you know what? I I strove and I tried and I accomplished. And a lot of that was a little disappointing, but at least I did it. I got here. I I got an okay marriage and had a couple okay kids. (laughs) No, I'm saying you look back, you you know what? I at least played the game. Yeah. You know, at least I didn't whine and cry and lie in the bench. Hey, that seemed like it directed at me a little bit. No, it was directed at anybody who succumbs to nihilism. So you'd say all the nihilists out there, all the people struggle, quit being big babies. Yeah, but I'm talking to myself, too. I'm talking to humanity. I'm talking to the universe. But anyone else who struggles with this stuff, man up. Or whatever up. Or woman up. Yeah, lion up. You're a lion. lion. (laughs) Any lions out there listening to this podcast? Jesus, man. You don't want to be like in the Matrix, the battery who's just plugged up to a machine. Yeah. You want to be like Neo, facing the shit. Better to be in the mix, fight a little bit. Yeah. So you just got to go, oh my God, I have to pull myself out of this hole. So now you're out of the hole. <laughs> Barely. Oh, here we go. I mean, I wrote one TV episode. Yay. Everybody check it out. <laughs> the finale of Blue Mountain State. Yeah, on Spike Ryan TV. Ridley. If you like this conversation, tune in to Spike TV. <laughs> there's um, a lot of overlap. But there's plenty of people in this business that write one episode of a TV show and then Disappear forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't let that happen. I can never get to the point I was last year to the point of that version of me that you brought into, hey, buddy, that you brought in. No, no, don't come back. (laughs) Stay (laughs) out. You brought in to talk to you. I just, I can't go back there. Yeah. I I can't live like that. And and as much as you sometimes joke about this idea, like, I don't care about any of my friends, it insults me on a deep level because I do. Yeah. I want to be someone who, if I have any sort of power to help my friends, I would give it to them. I'm helping you right now. That's right. You know? Thank you, Ryan, for gracing us with your presence. Uh, You're welcome. Aren't we lucky to have him? Look, it could have been me or it could have been a loaf of bread. What's the point? Oh, we switched roles? No, you can. Let's switch roles. Let me talk to Sad Ryan again. Hello? Hey, Sad Ryan. Yeah. I don't know. I think you should buck up. You know, I've been talking to Happy Ryan. That's you in the future. Me in the future. A possible future. If you just get out there and make an effort, you're going to snap out of this funk. You're going to sell a script. You wouldn't believe this now, but you're going to have a podcast that's going to be enjoyed by thousands of people. Wow. Can you imagine that? A podcast, you say? Yeah. Do you know what that is? days are here again. Yeah, I know what that is. It's only 2009. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to, you know, I didn't know if you had an iPod or anything. I got an iPod. Well, he still has the same, this is 2010, Ryan. He still has the same iPod I have, apparently, but hopefully I'll have upgraded by 2000. His is a little newer. No, we have the same iPod. I know, but in 2009, it's pretty nice. yeah, that's true. Okay. Sad, Ryan? Yeah. You're going to feel better soon. Am I going to get pussy? 
This is a family podcast. <laughs> but yes, you will get <laughs> lady love. This is 2010, Ryan. Uh, not as of yet. Not That's of not yet. true. Everybody, don't feel bad for him. He's doing okay. <laughs> don't pretend you're a jerk who wants pussy. You want to find love. You want. I know. A, I was an being ironic. Partner. 2009, Ryan is ironic. Oh, I didn't even know which one I was talking to anymore. Yeah, that's 2009, Ryan. No, said, you said, excuse me, this is 2010. This is very confusing. Nah, Imagine how a listener feels. All right, well, I appreciate it. Thank you, 2010 version of me. Uh, no, don't touch. What just happened? It was the paradox of... This is the omniscient voice of the universe talking now. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm glad we have you here. Anything you want to ask me? Well, first to explain well, what just... Uh, have you ever seen Time Cop? <laughs> no, this I, is explained in Time Cop, but 2009, I, I, Ryan. Just for not, those of us who haven't seen Time Cop, uh, you can't have two people touch each other. You mean you can't have the same person? Well, obviously, yeah. From I, two I, different I'm times. All for intimacy and all that, I don't have any weird issues. I'm just saying, if it's the same person existing in two different timelines, what happens when they do touch? What you saw? What happened? There was a big flash. I didn't really. Yeah, saw it. they went away. So they're both gone. I yeah. lost Happy Ryan too. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that's too bad because he was happy. Well, I'll tell you what. You can bring back one of them. Oh, man. Which one? Well, Happy Ryan's strutting around all the time. At least Sad Ryan I feel superior to. Uh, before I bring him back, I, as long as we have you here, this seems like a real opportunity. Oh, boy. Well, you're the omniscient here force in the universe. I'm just the voice. You don't know stuff? I'm like the press secretary. I get bullet points. Yeah, you probably have more insight to all these big questions. Sure, than relatively. Well, so I was just wondering what's the point of everything? Why, you know, why are we here? I have no comment at this time. <laughs> but come on, you're the initial. I'm sorry. I you're mean, the come on. This is, there uh, must be something you can tell people to give them some comfort or guidance. Have you seen City Slickers? Yeah. Two. No. Oh. The Legend of Curly's Gold? Yes. You like that one better than the first one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, look, I know I don't know everything you know, but I, I think it's kind of universally accepted that that was an inferior movie uh, to the first one, which is just an okay movie. Me. The thing I know is universally accepted. Oh, I guess you, that's a good point. Yeah. But I mean, in, in my world... Uh, in my world? Jeez, you're pretty mean, omniscient voice of the universe. I'm not mean. I just do understand where I'm coming from. I mean, it's Well, like, of course I don't. I mean, you're the omniscient voice of the universe. I'm just a mortal human on Earth. I know. It's I'm so annoying. I'm trying to get a little help. Why don't you be original? Well... Oh, you're trying to figure out the meaning of life. What should I be doing? Hack. <laughs> well, like, I haven't heard that before. Well, what do you tell people? Yeah, I don't usually talk to people. <laughs> This is a big breach of protocol. What made you... I just felt like I had to explain things because, you know, you two people from different timelines touch. Is it possible you're not completely omniscient and you're just covering for the fact that you don't have any answers either? I'm not giving all the information. That's true. <laughs> you don't have anything. Stop. To... What? Who's this now? This is the universe. Oh, my God. I mean, uh... What well, are you doing to my omniscient voice? Well, he, he just... Can't you see what's happening? The universe is going to implode if you put him into an existential tailspin. <laughs> well, I just thought what he might... What am I? What am I? You're my employee. You speak to people because hearing my voice will cause their brains to melt. Wait a minute, but we're hearing your voice right now. Well, I'm speaking through cupped hands. <laughs> Well, thank you. I mean, please keep your hands up. If that's <laughs> you all. don't want to hear if these hands become uncupped. Now that you're here, maybe you can help us and you can help your employee over there. Listen. We're just a little lost. We need to know why we're here and why should we do anything. I will answer your question. Thank you. However. What? You have a choice. Okay. 
You can either ask me the question you want to ask. Right. Or you can bring your friend Ryan back. Oh, no. From the void. The inky black void. If you I don't... can't get both. But if I don't bring back it's Ryan... Sophie's choice. Will Ryan be okay? He'll be perfectly fine. Well, then in that case, I think I'll get some questions answered. He'll be in continuous pain for eternity. Wait, you just said he'd be fine. That's my definition of fine. I'm pretty harsh. That's... Universe. So, choose. Friendship or the selfish pursuit uh, of answers? You know, a lot of people would benefit from those answers, but I do like Ryan. I wonder if this is a test. This it's my a be- test. Oh, it's a... I want my friend back, for sure. Oh! oh, my God. Oh, my God. Where was I? What happened? Ryan, what, what did you just experience? Oh, it was humid. <laughs> it was humid? Yeah, it was humid. What did you see? Um, yeah, have a drink. <laughs> You've been in a very humid place. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're making it up as you go along. I uh, know. I'm just trying to remember. <laughs> Can you give oh, us come on. Ask? I just blinked back into corporeal form. Oh, you weren't corporeal? No, I wasn't corporeal. Oh, my goodness. I was some sort of... This is happy Ryan, right? Yeah, this is happy Ryan. I didn't specify. This is Ryan who got some perspective about what non-existence is like. And it ain't fun, people. So don't kill yourself. <laughs> anyway, you wouldn't believe what happened while you were gone. I, I t- don't want to hear about it. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> but Ryan. I want to take a nap. I talked to the voice of the universe. Oh, uh, yeah. Ryan, he guess. was going to give me all the answers to everything, and uh-huh. he gave me a choice to whether I should have all the answers or my friend Ryan back. He gave me the same choice. Really? Do I want all the answers to the universe, or do I want to be back with Dan? Wait, what if we you would answer chose- differently? Yes. I would have been ripped to shreds. Oh, my God. It's lucky that we both answered yeah. the same. Huh. So. Phew. Anyway. Well, I don't know. I just thought you'd be a little more grateful that I chose to have you back rather than get all the answers. No, that's pretty cool. I would really like to hear some answers. Look, Dan, of all the good things you've done for me, that's maybe one of the top. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe after this, you could do the dishes a little more often. (laughs) Deal. I did give up learning the secrets of space-time. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I feel like it's not too much to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to have you back, Ryan. Good to be back. Uh, I don't know if we figured anything out. I think we did. Really? It's better to live than not to live. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, everybody. You heard it here first. Or maybe not first, but you heard it here again. (laughs) So uh, sometimes you need to hear the same message more than once. Yeah. So I'm glad we figured that all out. And thanks, Brian. Thank you. Well, let's bookend this with one more Woody Allen scene. This is from the end of Hannah and Her Sisters. Woody has spent the whole movie in existential crisis and is about to kill himself, but he screws it up and instead runs out into the city. He wanders into a movie theater and the Marx Brothers' Duck Soup is playing. I'm watching these people up on the screen and I started getting hooked on the film, you know? And I started to feel, how can you even think of killing yourself? I mean, isn't it so stupid? I mean, look at all the people up there on the screen. You know, they're real funny. And and what if the worst is true? What if there's no God and you only go around once and that's it? Well, you know, don't you want to be part of the experience? You know, what the hell? It's not all a drag. And I'm thinking to myself, geez, I should stop ruining my life searching for answers I'm never going to get and just enjoy it while it lasts. And then I started to sit back 
and I actually began to enjoy myself. Oh man, I've always loved that scene. And I don't think it's his rebuttal to the universe's expanding bit. I think he sometimes feels one and sometimes the other. It's a struggle. It never ends. I can't pretend otherwise just to go out on a happy note. Woody the character finds enlightenment, but Woody the man, I'm sure, goes back and forth, probably several times a day. I know I do. Remember I started the show with thoughts I had on waking from a dream? Generally, I have the luxury of getting up whenever I want to. And I know it sounds nice. Okay, it is nice, but it's a dangerous thing to be able to linger in bed. When you have to rush to school or work, you don't have as much time to get mired in dark thoughts. And you know what? The more I worked on this show, the less nihilistic I felt. I've been too busy, picking out microphones and working with actors and learning editing software. And more than just being occupied and distracted, it feels good to make things. What can I say? Doing this show about nihilism has really cheered me up. Peter DeVries wrote, The quest for meaning is foredoomed. Human life means nothing. But that is not to say it is not worth living. What does a Debussy arabesque mean? Or a rainbow? Or a rose? It's come up a few times. If you feel troubled that there's no meaning in the universe, if you feel there's no point to life, you're probably just sad about something much less cosmic. You probably have some personal reasons, and if you don't know what they are, you might want to take a look. I like to imagine all my beliefs are shaped by reason, but one thing reason tells me is that a lot of what I think comes from what I feel. And even people who don't worship the scientific method, whatever they believe, everybody thinks they're realistic. Every religion and philosophy and outlook. Nobody thinks they're warped. Cynics especially love to call themselves realists. As if they don't want to be cynics. I'd love to be cheery, but look around. And then they point to the indisputable half-emptiness of the glass. The universe is a great big Rorschach blot. And how you see it says more about you than life. Yes, nihilism rests on facts that are inarguable. But so does happiness. Happiness. I asked the professors who teach the meaning of life to tell me what is happiness. And I went to famous executives who bossed the work of thousands of men. They all shook their heads and gave me a smile as though I was trying to fool them. And then one Sunday afternoon, I wandered out along the Plains River, and I saw a crowd of Hungarians under the trees with their women and children and a keg of beer and an accordion. Carl Samper. Well, that's the show. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, please check out the website myaclonicjerk.com. From there, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and get on the mailing list. And more importantly, there is where you're going to find you, because this is just the beginning of the conversation. Send in your thoughts, your stories, your favorite quotes, your favorite songs, anything that has to do with the subject of any show. Our email address is mailbox at myaclonicjerk.com. Thanks so much to everyone who helped with this episode, Ivan Brunetti, 
Ryan Ridley, and our actors Mike Wood, Larry Roberts, and Eileen Shee. Please subscribe on iTunes. Next episode, beauty. Oh boy. See ya. Oh wait, it was on pause the whole time. Can you use any of that?